You're listening to Living Healthy Longer by the Columbine Health System Center for Healthy Aging. My name is Dr. Tara Sipon Robbins, and I am an assistant professor in biological anthropology at the University of Colorado, Colorado Springs. And I'm interested in co-evolved relationships between humans and our pathogens and our microbes. So my whole life, I have kind of been a germaphobe. Doing field research within anthropology and human biology has changed that for me, at least in theory. When I went to graduate school, I had no intention of studying infectious diseases and parasites. So when I first visited Amazonian Ecuador in 2008 as a very junior graduate student with the Schwar Health and Life History Project, I was surprised and a little scared to learn about all of the pathogens that commonly infect people that I had no idea existed. For instance, there's a type of worm that causes a disease called river blindness. This worm is spread via insect bites and it spreads throughout the body. It causes pockets of adult worms in the skin and the larvae eventually make it into the eyes and eat the eye tissue. Many of the older men in the communities we worked in had telltale retinal scarring to show that they have had, had had this infection, but for younger generations, it had largely been eradicated. There are a ton of similar parasites and pathogens that many of us have never heard of. And this made me realize that here in the US where many of us are never exposed to parasites and other relatively common global pathogens, that we are the outliers. Even among the Schwar, aging in current older adults looks very different than what it will look like for future generations due to changing exposure to microbes and parasites that come with environmental and lifestyle change that the Schwar are currently experiencing. So thinking about human health from an evolutionary perspective, it's important to realize that there was never a time in our evolutionary history where humans weren't being bombarded by microbes and pathogens and disease. So much of our biology evolved to handle these infections. Sexual reproduction, you can thank pathogens and parasites for that. Our complex immune systems, you can thank pathogens and parasites for that as well. Even some of our behaviors like feeling disgusted and having phobias can be blamed on our long evolutionary history of exposure to pathogens and parasites. So wanting to live in these germ-free environments is a strange human behavior and they can actually be bad for our health. And we may see these bad health effects of limited exposure to pathogens manifest more and more as we age. From the moment we're born, we're surrounded by microbes that shape our development, especially our immune systems. In the last few years, scientists have become especially interested in these microbes, the collection of bacteria, viruses, fungi, parasites, and other pathogens that live in and on our bodies, called the microbiome. The microbiome has been studied for its associations to all sorts of diseases and conditions, from microbes' effect on cancer, to anxiety, to diabetes, to nutrition, and what we eat. On today's show, we're talking about the microbiome and aging with Dr. Tara Seepin-Robbins. We get into the connection between chronic inflammation that comes with age and how the microbiome plays a role in it. We also discuss this really interesting theory called the hygiene hypothesis, 
that essentially says that not being exposed to pathogens during childhood could lead to immune problems and inflammatory conditions later in life. We talk about a study led by Dr. Seepin Robbins that looked at where you grew up, whether it was an urban, rural, or suburban environment, and how that could play a role in the development of your immune system. I hope you enjoy. I'm your host, Hannah Hallisker, and this is Living Healthy Longer, a podcast from the Columbine Health System Center for Healthy Aging at Colorado State University. In your story, we hear about pathogens, parasites, and along with that, in my head, I'm thinking of bacteria and viruses because I think people tend to lump all of those things together. But I'm curious because we're here to talk about the microbiome. Can you describe for us specifically what the microbiome is and maybe why it's different from those other things? Yes. So the microbiome, there's kind of two ways that we refer to the microbiome. There's the microbiota, which is the collection of the microorganisms that live in and on the human body. And then there's the microbiome, which includes all of those microorganisms, but focuses as well on their genes, which is an important distinction because the genes that microbes within us carry end up being activated for us in some way as well. So if they have a gene to break or to create a certain enzyme or to create a certain protein, I guess an enzyme is a protein, but they have a gene to do that, that is something that is happening within us. And we sort of carry it on and take it in on ourselves. So many of these species end up being mutualists because they become an important and almost necessary part of our body. They can do things like help us digest certain foods that we wouldn't be able to digest without them. They help us develop our immune responses and they protect us from other pathogenic species as well. You can kind of think of it as, for one example, of how important they are for digestion. If you look at animals and you look at what kinds of foods they eat, an herbivore versus a carnivore versus an omnivore, their microbiomes group based on those types of diets because the the, uh, bacteria in their intestine will be helpful for breaking down whatever they need from meat or vegetables or grass or whatever, and then extracting that and also extracting nutrients from it. So, it has many benefits. Okay. And so when I, if I ask you, you know, why is the microbiome important for our health? It sounds like it's because these bacteria, viruses, what have you, they help us in some way. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, so they can help us with digestion. Whereas if we don't have some of them, we might not digest certain foods as well. They help us build our immune systems. they also function as part of our immune system sometimes. There are species like zebrafish and mice where their guts don't even develop if they aren't exposed to bacteria. So if you raise them in a completely germ-free environment, they don't get the bacterial inoculation that you would usually get from birth and everything that comes along with existing in a high pathogen or high bacteria environment. If they don't get that, they don't even really develop their intestines. So as to the extent. So there, to some degree, these, these microorganisms are needed for our own development and our immune systems are part of that as well. If we aren't exposed to them, 
our bodies don't know how to react properly and we can end up with immune system problems as well. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. You tell me if you remember this differently, but I feel like you're hearing so much more about the microbiome in recent years as compared to maybe even a decade ago. I mean, it's almost like a buzzword for all different kinds of diseases and conditions like cancer, anxiety, digestion, aging, like we're talking to you about. So can you tell me maybe why scientists are so interested in the microbiome? Yeah, I think that a lot of it has to do with the fact that we've really shifted to understanding the human body as not just this one single entity, but as this ecosystem that's teeming with life. And any ecosystem is shaped by the life within it. So for us to be healthy, we have to have a balance of the ecosystem that is within us and and the abundance of species that we need. If you think of a forest, If you take one important species away from a forest or a swamp or any ecosystem you can name, that can kind of throw all the other species into some amount of disarray. And so if we think of humans as ecosystems, it kind of makes a lot of sense that the multitude of organisms inside of us do shape who we are and how healthy we are and how we age and all of that. Mm -hmm. And I also think of the microbiome, as you've mentioned, as being very closely associated with different stages of development, because, you know, when you hear studies of the microbiome, it's, you know, we're trying to understand what environment these people were raised in, um, what their micro microbiota exposures were when they were younger and, and how does that affect these conditions they they have today? And mm-hmm. so I'm wondering if you can tell us since we're specifically on the gut microbiome, how does the microbiota change with age? Yeah. So that is a really good question. And I think as I I will talk specifically about the microbiota, but I think it's also important to bring up that there are, at least in most or a lot of human populations around the world, a whole lot of other things in the intestines as well. And you can't really talk about one without talking about the other. So with uh, with the Schwar, for instance, where I work, and even in pockets in the United States, there are intestinal parasites. And intestinal parasites can get rather large. You have intestinal parasitic worms that if there are enough of them can actually cause blockages. If you Google Ascaris lumbricoides, you'll see pictures of very large worms and that's what they are. And so you can imagine that you have a human, you have this ecosystem, then you have these large worms in the intestines, there can be protozoa, there can be a whole other number of kind of macro parasites. And they have their own microbiomes too. And then we have our microbiomes and everything is interacting and how they interact and all that is fascinating. So it's important, I think, to think about that holistically. Um, But in general, for how the microbiome changes with age and how our general gut composition changes with age, a lot of where we get our microbiome early on comes from birth. So if there's differences in vaginal birth versus C-section babies, and you wouldn't think so, but that birth process can have an effect on your health throughout your life. So if you're born via C-section, you aren't exposed to the same bacteria as you are if you're born vaginally. And there's evidence that the sort of vaginal microbiome changes right before birth to give the baby the 
microbiome that they need to digest milk and a whole bunch of other stuff. So what happens to you in birth and in childhood is going to shape your life for a long time. Being breastfed shapes the initial microbiome. And then as we age, things like the environment will affect your microbiome. So what you're exposed to um, will determine the diversity of species within you. Then how your immune response happens will change the species, or your, your immune response will change the species inside of you. But in general with age, we tend to see things like reduced bacterial diversity and we see shifts in which species are dominant. Um, we see a decline in certain beneficial microorganisms, but it's interesting because these seem like, this actually seems like something that needs to happen to some extent because they found that in adults who don't change their microbiome throughout the life course, they um, have worse health outcomes and are more likely to die early than ones who do shift their microbiome throughout their life course. And that has to do a lot with our needs, the needs of like the metabolic, dietary and immune function needs of an 80 year old are a lot different than of a 20 year old. So you can kind of think of how everything would shift throughout your life and why you would want it to do that. So one of the points that I think is important to uh, bring up with that is that the gut microbiome is associated with halting inflammation and regulating immune response to some degree. And so as we age, depending on our exposures in early life, that affects how the microbiome is shaped, but also how that affects our immune function throughout our adult lives. There's a field of study called life history theory, and it looks at basically how we allocate our resources throughout our life course. So what we spend energy on basically. So when we are a fetus, a lot of our energy is going to growth and development and fat storage. And then when we're born, a lot of our development starts going towards brain growth. And then once we reach a certain age, our, it's, it kind of switches to body growth and then it switches to reproduction. And then during adulthood, we're, foc we're focusing a lot of energy on our reproductive cycles and all of that. And then in adulthood, kind of post-reproductive, you're focusing on any number of other things. So we sort of shift what our body is doing at any time throughout each life stage that we're in. And that affects how we metabolize things that affects where the calories we take in goes to. And so you can kind of think about different needs at different times. So really early in development, for instance, the people are probably, because that's when your immune system is developing, that's usually when kids are putting a lot of things in their mouths and they're kind of doing really gross things all the time and you never really know what's going on, but they're being exposed to a lot. And then that sort of developmental exposure might shut down a little bit and you're less likely to want to be exposed to that. So then when you get into, for instance, like older adulthood and you're experiencing trade-offs associated with senescence and maybe a decline in immune function to some degree, or at least a kind of perceived decline, um, that 
you are then kind of cultivating different relationships in your gut. And then as your mobility changes, for instance, so say you spent your whole life far, um, gardening and you really love to garden, but suddenly due to injury or to reduced mobility, you can't garden anymore. That's going to affect what you're exposed to. So all of those things kind of combined are going to affect what you're exposed to throughout your life and will shift the microbiome in a way that might be beneficial to some degree. Does that make sense? Yes. Yeah, that's okay. perfect. But I'm, I'm wondering if we can maybe dive a little deeper into that connection between inflammation and you know, bacterial diversity, because when I was reading about the microbiome to prep for this, you, you, you're constantly seeing inflammation and bacterial diversity being associated with each other. And, you know, we know from prior conversations we've heard on this podcast that inflammation is very wrapped up in one of the hallmarks of aging, that you see more and more inflammation inside the body as you age. So can you explain a little of that connection? One of the hallmarks of what I research is the hygiene hypothesis. And similar hypotheses that I tend to lump together are the uh, old friends hypothesis and the disappearing microbiota hypothesis, but all of them together basically get at the fact that because we're living in such high sanitation, high hygiene environments, we're exposed to fewer important path or important bacteria, viruses, and then pathogenic species and parasites as well. And our bodies evolved in a situation where we needed these members of our, of our microbiome and other members of our ecosystem to regulate our immune systems. So there are branches of our immune systems that evolve specifically to respond to certain things. So there's one branch that responds specifically to larger parasites. And there's, it also to some extent deals with commensal or mutualist bacteria and all that. But this branch when triggered by these old friends that we came to kind of evolve with, when it's triggered by them, it actually reduces our inflammatory immune responses. And it actually turns down our immune responses in general. So it makes it so that we, when people have, for instance, certain parasites, they don't respond to vaccines as well. Um, And in general, they have really low levels of inflammation. So our work with the Schwar, for instance, found that even with age, the Schwar show no evidence of chronic low-grade inflammation. And you mentioned that listeners to this podcast are aware that chronic inflammation throughout our life is associated with things like obesity and cardiovascular disease and metabolic syndrome and autoimmune diseases and allergies and all of that. So if we aren't stimulated by the right pathogens during development and throughout our life course, it never triggers this more regulatory branch of the immune system. So it allows your other more inflammatory branches to kind of get out of control. And then that's when you see those problems occurring. So as our environment shift and we're exposed to fewer kind of good bacteria, I'm gonna use the good and bad distinction. And then at the end, I'll talk a little bit about why that's more nuanced than you would think. But, as we're exposed to more good bacteria that stimulate this branch, it prevents things like inflammation. So we we need that healthy, that healthy, diverse microbiome to prevent it. 
On top of that, there are very important species that protect like our intestinal lining, for instance, from more pathogenic species. And so when they're in place, those little pathogenic guys don't get in there and cause more inflammation through damaging your tissue and all of that. So there's a lot of ways that the gut microbiome shapes our inflammatory response. And then inflammation itself shapes our gut microbiome by making it too inhospitable and causing pH variation to where certain species that we meet need might not be able to live there. So what you're essentially telling us is that it's good to be exposed to germs and dirt and all of these different things as we're kids, as we're growing up, because I mean, somehow it leads to lower grade inflammation and, and better immune responses. Yeah, basically. Obviously, that's within reason. So things like parasites do cause health problems that go along with it. But in our evolutionary history, that wasn't really a decision we made. We had parasites. So we evolved to have this response. So we didn't have to sit there and say, oh, well, now I'm having nutrient deficiencies and not responding to vaccines and all this other stuff. Our evolutionary history didn't really take that into account. But So, I mean, there's a trade-off. It's not go infect yourself with parasites and you won't have these problems with aging per se, but there is research looking into, for instance, figuring out what sorts of um, antigens can stimulate this without necessarily having certain infections or with more kind of less moderated gut microbiomes as well. That's just so incredibly fascinating. And I'm wondering if you, I think this is a good time to bring up your, um, your testing the hygiene hypothesis in the U S study, because that gets into the fact that where you live, like your geographical location influences, you know, the microbiota that you're exposed to. So can you tell us a little about that? Yeah. So to some degree, the environment that you grow up in shapes your health for a long time. And if you think about different environments that you may have experienced as a kid or that other people experience as a kid, you can kind of understand how they vary in what we're exposed to. So to start with some of my earlier work before we get into this one, if we look, for instance, at the Shuar, where we have a bit more variation, we have the Shuar are an Amazonian indigenous population, and they are exposed, they have a typically high disease environment where they're exposed to worms, they're exposed to a lot of things in the environment. And we see within the Shuar that individuals who live kind of more subsistence-based, so we would say kind of forager horticulturalist, but a lot of people refer to as hunter-gatherer lifestyles, where they're constantly interacting with the environment, and they're exposed to soil, and they're exposed to animals through um, hunting, and they're exposed to uh, domesticated animals through animal horticulture. They are exposed to a whole lot more bacteria and viruses and sort of natural stuff that's in the environment that's around them all the time, like parasites. So we see that the individuals that are living that more subsistence-based lifestyle have more diverse intestinal microbiota. And when you kind of go downstream and you look at individuals who are living closer to the market center and who don't engage as much in these activities, they have less diverse microbiota. And that's kind of a larger breadth 
than what we're talking about. I mean, in the US, we talk about a pretty large breadth, but I decided to kind of look at how this kind of thing might play out in the US. And this was a study that I did here um, in Colorado Springs with 88, or with, sorry, yeah, 85 adults aged 50 to 88. And we looked at, I wasn't able to do microbiome stuff because that's expensive and this was done with my startup. But <laughs> um, I was looking specifically at intestinal inflammation. And that is, as we've already talked about, closely linked to microbiota diversity and uh, immune function, especially from what we're exposed to in childhood, all the way up to adulthood, your inflammatory response is shaped by that. So looking at the adult immune response, triggered triggering intestinal inflammation, we looked at whether or not people that were raised in urban, suburban, and rural environments were differentially appearing with more inflammation in adulthood. And so we asked them a number of questions regarding where they grew up when they were zero to five, five to 10, 10 to 15, or 10 to 15 and 15 to 20. And then we looked at their intestinal inflammation. And it was interesting because we found that the biggest effect occurred between the ages of five and 10 and kind of counter to what I was expecting because I was expecting a pretty clear cut urban rural divide, but we found that suburban individual, kids who, people who grew up in suburban environments actually had more intestinal inflammation than rural and urban environments. Um, so your childhood environment shapes your adult inflammation status and likely your immune response and your microbiome as well. And this has to do with what you're exposed to. So if you think about rural environments, people are exposed to domesticated animals and they usually spend more time in on farms or in nature of some kind. And in urban environments, you actually tend to have more population density. So people are probably being exposed to a lot of pathogens just from being around other people. But in kind of suburban areas, you tend to see usually higher socioeconomic status and you see um, a greater focus on germ-free environments than you do anywhere else. So it makes actually a lot more sense that the suburban kids, kids who grew up in suburban environments had more intestinal inflammation in adulthood. And we actually saw that people who had high, so higher socioeconomic status during childhood also had more intestinal inflammation in adulthood as well. Were you able to link that to any chronic diseases that, that these, this older adult population might've also had? So I did set out to measure like cholesterol and I did do um, blood pressure and whatnot. But a lot, all of the, pretty much all of the older adults in the studies, so this was 50 to 88 year olds, pretty much all of them were taking medication for cholesterol because I thought there would be an interesting link there. And honestly, most of my work in living people have been among the schwa, so I'm not used to people taking uh, anti-cholesterol medication. So I wasn't able to specifically there. Um, and I'm kind of doing further analyses, looking at uh, things like BMI. The real goal of this project was actually to look at a species of bacteria called Helicobacter pylori and how that affected intestinal inflammation. 
but <laughs> only two people showed up positive for having it on um, the rapid test I was using. And that is, it's a complicated test and a complicated bacteria because it's one where if you're exposed at a certain time, your immune response, I mean, a lot in the US, we tend to treat it. So it was less than okay. I dreamed of for that. <laughs> But I'm going to repeat that study in a different population. So. Gotcha. So what this is making me think, like I'm imagining the perspective of the listener and the listener who's thinking like, oh, I grew up in a suburban environment. I probably wasn't exposed to that, that many things. What do I do about it now? So is there <laughs> anything, is there anything that can be done to benefit your gut microbiome as you age? That is a good question. And I think so a lot of the uh, discussion on kind of healthy gut microbiomes as we age centers around things like eating balanced diets or at least a diverse diet because that will feed important microbes for aiding in digestion. And there are things like um, probiotics that you can take that will sort of repopulate the intestine as well. Um, but I've seen that likened to like, if you take antibiotics and then you take a probiotic to fix it, I've seen that likened to, uh, burning down a rainforest and then planting a cornfield. So it's only, it can only go so far, but they're still good for that. Um, avoid like physical activity and increasing metabolic health increases the health of the gut microbiome as well. So there is a lot you can do. And it's important also to keep in mind that this is still, I mean, as you've probably noticed talking to people who study aging as a whole, it's all kind of, it's all so intertwined that it's difficult to know, especially when it comes to things like the microbiome and parasites and all of that. It's difficult to know exactly how big of a role that is playing specifically. I mean, people have different experiences throughout their childhood and then varying outcomes later on and what exactly is going on is, is so it's not something to panic about if you were raised, I was raised in a suburban environment and I'm a germaphobe and I'm not that worried about it. But I think people who have like autoimmune disorders and allergies and stuff might kind of make that connection sometimes. So we're getting, we're getting close to three o'clock. So I want to go ahead and ask you this last question that I ask everyone that comes on the podcast, which is what is your best advice for healthy aging, you know, from your perspective and what you research? Yeah. So it really seems like being exposed to a lot of microbes when we're younger is important for cultivating a healthy microbiome and then continuing to feed the good members and to avoid taking unnecessary medications that can cause dysbiosis in your gut, for instance. So taking antibiotics unnecessarily could lead to you wiping out the lovely, lovely, uh, ecosystem that you've cultivated. But that's not to say don't take antibiotics if your doctor prescribes them because obviously they know better about what you need to take than I do. But the part of the problem is that in the US we kind of overuse 
antibacterial hand soaps and we overuse antibiotics and that can cause a lot of problems for us. So just, I think being cognizant about that. And that would be, I think the biggest advice is changing the way that we think about ourselves. So don't think about ourselves, don't think about yourself as an individual, but rather an ecosystem that's full of other organisms that can help you with digestive and metabolic and immune health. Um, and then live in a way that helps to cultivate these relationships in some way. And it's really hard. As I said, I'm a self-professed germaphobe. I have a three-year-old and I know she needs to be exposed to things, but when she's sitting there splashing around in mud and dirt, I still want to jump in and stop her because it's like this urge that we have to be really clean. But if we think about how important it is to be exposed to this diversity of microorganisms throughout our lives and to maintain our health, then that can change how we live and interact with our environment in a good way. And I think, so I wanna just quickly say that it's difficult during this pandemic, especially because there are definitely pathogens that we should not be exposed to like SARS-CoV-2 or COVID-19 um, that we should be avoiding to the best of our ability. And by avoiding that, we're actually avoiding a whole lot of stuff. So we're exposed to way fewer environment environments than we normally would. I haven't gotten a cold in over a year. And I have a three-year-old. We had a cold every week back before the pandemic. So it's interesting to think about all of that and think about how this well-advised shut-in in our lifestyles will um, kind of affect our microbiome and our health into the future. But I think a lot of it's just so uncontrollable that I think changing our mindset, it might be a good way to start. Yeah. I think that's fantastic advice and it's advice we don't usually think about. Uh, mm -hmm. I don't think people, I mean, it, apart from this pandemic we're in, I don't think people regularly thought about what they were exposed to. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yep. And then think that there's not, not everything around you is bad. There are good bacteria. Everything we eat it has bacteria on it. I mean, now everybody's probably like, I don't want to eat ever again, but I mean, it does. And that's good. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for talking to me. This was really an incredible discussion, at least for me, because I'm a nerd about this kind of stuff. So <laughs> me too. It was so great to talk with you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Living Healthy Longer, a podcast from the Center for Healthy Aging at CSU. Remember to follow us on social media at CSU Healthy Aging and visit our website at healthyaging.colostate.edu. We will see you next time.